welcome to Just It Between the Lines, where we have real discussions about real issues in public safety. In episode two, we sit down with Jose Ramirez, vice president of the Georgia Gang Investigators Association, or GGIA, to discuss gangs in Georgia. Good morning. My name is Melissa White, and I'm the curriculum development manager at the Georgia Public Safety Training Center. And I'm Anessa Westmoreland, and I'm also with the Georgia Public Safety Training Center, and I work on the curriculum development team also. Good morning. My name is Jose Ramirez. I'm with the Georgia Public Safety Training Center, the basic division out of Savannah. I am also vice president of the Georgia Gang Investigators Association. We're a nonprofit organization that uh, is made up of several law enforcement officers throughout the state of Georgia. We have federal partners as well, state level partners as well. We have prosecuting attorneys that are part of the organization. Judges, the attorney general is, is, is part of the organization. And the concept behind GGIA was that we recognized that there was a gang crisis in the state of Georgia, just right. like the state legislators. And we needed to pull our resources together and networking, sharing information so that we're able to successfully identify and combat gang violence throughout the state of Georgia. So how did you get involved with this organization and teaching about gangs and knowing about gangs? Like, where did all of that come from? Like, I can tell that you're passionate about it. So can you explain how that all started for you? Yeah, absolutely. Just like any officer, if you really got to talk to an officer or a cadet, you can find out that they have a past. They have a Mm -hmm. history behind them. And I I encourage officers to recognize that it's not a bad thing to have that past, to utilize that past to better serve our our citizens in in the community. And also as an instructor, to use that to motivate you to, you know, be a better instructor, to give that material to, to really connect with it. Right. And for me, it started as a young kid growing up in Tampa, Florida. And again, I'm not ashamed of my past, but I'm not proud of it. I, I engaged in criminal activity myself as a young kid. It was hard. I was a victim of child abuse, domestic violence myself. You know, my father wasn't really the true father figure that I needed at that time. So running the streets, I started running with the gangs, the Latin Kings in that area and just did little things here and there. And uh, I, what I really needed at that time was somebody to really see the value of my life and to engage in my life. Mm-hmm. And so when we moved to Savannah, Georgia by 8990, those opportunities started presenting themselves through different men who were coaching me either in sports or just introducing me to something that I would never be introduced to my life, like fishing and hunting. Right. And then at that time, uh, I joined the Savannah Police Department in 2000. And at that point in 2004, from that period of time, I just saw all the criminal gang activity that we had in, in the Savannah area and nothing was really being done about it. Mm-hmm. And in 2004, I attended my first GGIA conference in Savannah. And in 2005, I joined the board and never looked back. And I just have a passion to try to reach our youth, but also empower our officers on on the signs of gang recognition. Right. How to identify them, how to prosecute them, how to document them, how to share information, how to network. And I just have that passion. And it all just started as a, as a young kid, really. I have a question. How old were you when you got involved in the Latin Kings? As a, as a kid, I, at the age of 11 years old, believe it or not. And that's that's a trend that we see right mm-hmm. now, is that we see kids right now in the elementary level yes. being introduced to the gang culture and to mm-hmm. the gang life, either through a, a parent, another sibling, or just simply the the information that these kids are able to mm-hmm. receive now that is available to them. Especially uh, on social media. Yeah, absolutely. These kids now in, in school, in elementary school, are having 
cell phones that have the capability of getting on the internet and these kids research it themselves. They, they listen to the hip hop music, the movies that glamorize it, mm-hmm. the, you know, just glamorizes the gang culture. Right. And so they go after it. They're sucked into it and they gravitate to it. And so they, if they don't have the right role models or foundation, they're just going to go down that wrong path and, and, unless we intervene. And you said that you had committed crimes as a juvenile. Did you ever get charged with any crimes as a juvenile? You know, that's, that's a great question. You know, when I come in contact with a lot of people, especially when I was in uniform capacity of law mm-hmm. enforcement, I used to tell them that I was never judge them. That was not my position mm-hmm. to judge them. It was simply my position to hold them accountable mm-hmm. for the way the law was written. And I used to tell them, I said, the only difference between me and you is I never got caught. And plus, I had a second chance where people saw value in my life and to intervene. Yes. So, yeah, I never got caught. Mm -hmm. I ran a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that happens a lot, though. I mean, they usually don't get caught. And then I know from my experience in law enforcement and working through the juvenile court that a lot of times the younger kids are targeted by the higher up gang members or older And they get them to commit the crimes because they know it'll be a slap on the wrist or they won't serve time, you know, for a second degree burglary or anything like that. They'll just get released to their parent. And so there's not the trail doesn't really follow them as much as if a 17 year old had committed the crime in Georgia. Absolutely. They're strategic about what they're Mm -hmm. doing and they're going to utilize uh, whatever resource they have available. And to them. A young child is a resource, a resource to possess a weapon, a resource to stash contraband, a resource to share information, a resource to generate more revenue. To them, it's a resource. They don't Mm -hmm. see a human being. They don't see the potential of that that young child. They just see an opportunity to use them, exploit them, and no matter what the consequences are. And when they do get, you know, arrested and sent off to the Department of Juvenile Justice, it is a slap in the hand. They know that that punishment is not Mm -hmm. as severe and a lot of times they're sent right back home. Right. And And it's a great way to recruit. One of the issues with that probably is the fact that they're not being charged as a gang being involved with gang violence or that they put the gang statute when they charge a juvenile complaint. Because if they did that, it probably would have time associated with it or they would be detained. They wouldn't be released. But I think a lot of time there's an education factor of some of the officers and deputies not understanding what you need to charge the gang statute. Can you go over that? Yeah, you brought a great point. Officers need to recognize that the gang act is an enhancement. It's it's not just a standalone charge. It's an enhancement so that when these individuals commit a predicate act under the gang statute, then you would tack on that charge. And at that point, especially with a juvenile, who's committed a serious crime, but maybe not one of the seven deadly sins, they get designated as a felon. And so at that point, their sentencing is going to be more serious Mm -hmm. and they're going to be possibly detained and not just released back out Mm -hmm. into society. So, but before an officer needs to do that, they need to educate themselves on the gang statute. They need to attend all the training that they can because just because you come in contact with an individual that appears to be a gang member or is associating with a gang member or has gang culture evidence doesn't mean that you can simply charge them. A gang case starts with good documentation and intelligence. If we're Mm -hmm. not documenting and we're not articulating what we're finding, then we're not going to be able to connect the nexus and and successfully prosecute these individuals to the fullest beyond a reasonable doubt. True. So so I guess this question is going to be a a little off that topic. What is the goal of GGI? And what is the goal of the Gang Act, ultimately? Is it to just focus on enforcement and prosecution? 
Or is there an element of that to reach the youth early on as like an intervention to kind of eliminate gangs altogether? Well, the gang statute, the goal of that is to completely eradicate gangs. It is one of the greatest statutes in the the United States. Believe it or not, we get a lot of phone calls from across the country asking us about our gang statute. Wow. It is a very strong gang statute. It's it's, It's a great tool for law enforcement if properly used. And that's the purpose behind the gang statute is to eradicate gangs. And the purpose of GGIA is to educate as many law enforcement officers or anybody that is part of the criminal justice system on the prosecution side right. to equip them what they need to combat gangs. One area that we're going to put an emphasis on now is to concentrate on how do we prevent these individuals in joining gangs? Right. What preventive measures are we taking as well? Because we just don't want to concentrate on just the whole accountability. How about some early intervention here, right. too? So we're, we're venturing in that. It's going to take a while. But I think that is something that is achievable. And I think that is something that everybody can do right now, mm-hmm. agency-wise, law enforcement personnel, to understand that it might not be in your job description, but recognize that you can make an impact in an individual's life and just go ahead and go beyond your job description and right. engage in that individual and be that mentor for them. Right, because it's like an officer goes to, let's say, a shoplifting, for instance, and it's a juvenile. You know, if they just looked a little deeper into that instead of just saying, oh, you know, he's just a kid shoplifting, there's probably an underlying issue there with gangs. As as law enforcement, we need to stop looking at individuals or people as a statistic. Right. Like, oh, I got another stat. I got a misdemeanor case. I got a a felony Mm -hmm. case. And we need to look at them for what they are. They're human beings. They're people. Talk to them, engage in them. If time permits, ask questions, find out, you know, is there a deeper root here that this individual may not have, this young boy or girl may not have a true father figure or a mother mm-hmm. figure or something's wrong. And, and just ask those questions where you can help them out and get them in the right direction. Or if they're leaning towards some gang culture, you know, uh, activity where they're going to go down a road that they don't want to go down. Right. So if an officer that this is the first time they've heard of GGIA, they they don't know anything about it or they've just heard a little bit about it. Can you explain to that officer the benefit of being a member of GGIA and what they're going to get out of it? Absolutely. Great question. GGIA, again, is is open to all law enforcement officers in the local state federal, all of our federal partners. We have partners in the Bahamas, partners in in Panama, Texas, Florida. We're part of the National Gang Intelligence Center with the FBI. We're part of NAGI, National Alliance of of Gang Investigators Association in the United States. We attend those conferences. So we, it just opens up the networking in it. And for a prime example, I just shared it this morning. We had a, uh, as, as a member, you receive emails. I get and alerts. <laughs> and yesterday we received an email asking where an agency was requesting information on the identity of a suspect for a kidnapping, I believe, aggravated assault case. And within six minutes, they had that individual identified. Oh, wow. And now they're working on locating them. And that is the power of GGI is the amount of people that we have networking and sharing information that we're able to combat gangs and identify these members identify, you know, possibly gang culture evidence that you may need to, to, to bring in the court to testify to show that they're a member of this gang or how they operate, a book of knowledge, whatever. We are just like a big closet or a trunk full of information for anybody. Right. And, but the biggest benefit is the networking and, and the training that we can provide. 
And that reminds me of something Anessa was saying earlier before we even started recording about some agencies or officers may not be willing to share that type of information. And I don't know why, but... (laughs) Ownership. I think some of them, they don't want to share because they want to prosecute the case. They want to get the conviction. But that's uh, that still exists today Mm -hmm. where you have officers that want all the glory. They want all the limelight. Like this is that was my uh, CI, you know, confidential informant. That was my case. I did Mm -hmm. that instead of almost thinking like gangs. Gangs don't think like that. Right. Gangs work together. Gangs Mm -hmm. communicate together, share information. They're using social media. Any any means of communication, they're using it. But yet we fight among ourselves in law enforcement in retaining information that is valuable to another agency or to another investigator. Right. And we do ourselves an injustice. We're like, what What are we doing? We need to communicate. We need to share that information. And then what I mean Because the gang this, activity doesn't stop at the county line or the oh, city limits. It, it goes all over. Absolutely. They're in regions, but they'll travel all over the state. And that's an example with the email you said. Because that wasn't two counties that were next to each other, were no, they? They no, were pretty far totally apart. Different. And, and you're absolutely correct. Gangs don't recognize jurisdiction mm-hmm. like we do, like jurisdictional mm-hmm. boundaries. And they don't recognize that. They, they travel throughout the whole state mm-hmm. of Georgia and the United States as well. But, yeah, we got to share that information. Right. And, and it's vital. we got to stop that, that type of culture. Now, understand that there is times that there is a sensitive case that you got to control what is being released and what you're sharing. By all means, that is understood. But when we're talking about gangs and we're talking about who we're coming in contact with, how we identify them, what documents we have Mm -hmm. to validate them as a member or an associate, we need to share that information. And I have a hard question that I'm going to ask. I mean, it's not going to be hard to answer, but some people aren't going to want to hear the question. (laughs) So just say you are a patrol officer or a deputy and you your sheriff or your chief doesn't believe that there are gangs in your jurisdiction. Like they say all the time, well, there's not gangs here. And probably but, happens a lot. But you're patrolling the streets and you see the graffiti and you get out with people and you know, what can the first line officer do to try to, I guess, get a handle on it without having the backing of their sheriff or their chief, but without stepping on toes? Okay. The first thing that a patrol officer can do, and number one, let's recognize that patrol officer is one of the most vital yes. components of every law enforcement yes, agency. absolutely. And I want to acknowledge that, that mm-hmm. they are, as, as a former investigator, I know that I relied on patrol. Yes. They're out there every day. They're making contact with citizens every day. They're seeing everything every day. And they see so, the changes from day to day. Absolutely. So that, number one. Number two is that these officers, if they don't have the support from their sheriffs, from their chiefs of police, or even their elected officials, they can do on their own keeping records and tabs mm-hmm. on these gang members. Because as I mentioned before, every successful prosecution of a gang or a gang member starts with documentation mm-hmm. and intelligence. If we're not gathering that information, if we're not labeling our report as an incident report correctly, then we're, we're not going to succeed. True. So that's one step that they can do is to go ahead and start their own database, basically, inside mm-hmm. of their patrol car, either in an Excel you know, format or a Word format, and just keeping tabs and pictures on these individuals mm-hmm. and documenting them. Um, they don't need no costly $100,000 software system. Mm-hmm. Crime um, mapping or anything. Yeah, they don't yeah. need any of that. They can go basic, old-school FI mm-hmm. cards, just you know, regular forms. Field information cards. FI cards or field information cards. <laughs> So, yeah, they can do those little you know, small measures. 
But the first thing that that patrol officer has to do, honestly, is admit that they have gangs. Oh, yeah. Themselves. I think they know. I think just sometimes the, they don't get the backing at the top. And, you know, and, and I say this, they don't need, don't, don't, they shouldn't allow that to get mm-hmm. them discouraged because I, I share a lot with people that it is sad that we still use the terminology wannabe. Right. Oh, yeah. There's no such thing no. as a wannabe. You either are or you're not. You either are or you're not. And the and wannabe is more dangerous because they're going to be. Well, and they're, they're going to do whatever. Nobody takes them serious. And this is how I, I bring this to light. If we stopped an individual right now who was swerving, in, in a lane at two, three o'clock in the morning, all over the road, hitting his brakes multiple mm-hmm. times, hit the curb. We think two things, possibly medical condition or driving impaired, mm-hmm. right? Under some type of controlled substance. We make contact with that individual. We see glassy eyes, slurred speech, open container. Okay, now we have some facts. We got formal facts and informal facts, which is mm-hmm. our evidence. We get that individual out. We do our field sobriety. We get more evidence and all that. That individual possibly has never got a DUI in their life. It's possibly mm-hmm. a, a volunteer, possibly a deacon at a church, mm-hmm. somebody who is very well respected. But the fact is, is that officer, when he makes contact with that individual, per the law, meeting all the facts and the evidence that they need, are going to charge him accordingly to the law. Yes, and that right. is with DUI. Yes. So what frustrates us is, is that when we come across with these individuals who meet all the criteria under mm-hmm. the gang statute and the definition of a gang and what we look for as gang member or associates, and they are committing these predicate acts that are in the law, mm-hmm. we fail to apply that and say, oh, there want to be. There's nothing want to be about right. somebody committing armed mm-hmm. robbery. There's no, nothing you know, want to be about somebody doing a drive-by. There's nothing want to be about somebody you know, raping a young girl or sexing her in. There's, there's nothing want to be about that. Those are real, serious, violent crimes, and we need to treat them for what they are. It's not our job to judge them if they're hardcore gang members or soft. Right. That becomes a prison system. And then what I mean by that, that's the other inmates. Because when they get locked up and they come in contact with those other inmates, then we'll find out if they're hardcore gang members. But that's not our problem. True. And one of the things that you just said when you answered that question about sexing in, is there human trafficking in gangs in Georgia? Absolutely. Gangs are involved in human trafficking more than you know it. And it's not just what a lot of people think is, you know, the cartels from South America, Mexico, or anything like that. It, it includes, you know, our local gangs mm-hmm. here to include like Ghostface Gangsters, uh, Crips, uh, Gangster Disciples. Gangs know that they can make a lot of money and they have their networking systems out of that and they participate in human trafficking. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And some of them are, young, are underage. And you're even talking older. about young ladies who are, mm-hmm. uh, young girls who are 11, 12, 13 years old. Wow. Yeah. That's very sad. Having multiple, you know, partners in one day up to seven to eight times. And a lot of times they film it and they sell it. Yeah. They'll sell it, you know, as uh, child pornography Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier about the definition of gang or a gang member. Can you kind of tell us what that is? Yeah. The definition of a gang in the state of Georgia, and I love it because when I teach, I ask people, Hey, give me your idea of what a gang is, because all of us have been influenced by mass media mm-hmm. or our, our beliefs in, in, in church or our religion, our culture, our community. Mm-hmm. And then we develop a perception of what a gang is. Right. And we need to get that out of the way as law enforcement officers. We simply need to look at the gang statute and what it says a gang is. And that's any group or association of three or more persons associating fact whether formal or informal, that engages in criminal gang activity. So, and that's it. You got to have three or more people to establish the existence of a gang. You don't have to have three or more to commit the crime. Right. 
So, and that's easy for us to do because if you're talking about the Crips, thousands of members. Right. So you met that three or more mm-hmm. criteria. Now, when we look for members, uh, gang members, we really don't like to do a definition in that. It's anybody that, that is associated with the gang or is actively participating in that gang, has been jumped in, has been blessed in, initiated somehow, and is doing work for that gang, has a lot of gang culture evidence on them. That can be clothing, accessories, it can be tattoos, contains uh, books and knowledges on their social media. They're representing that gang, the name and throwing up hand signs. We just take everything and we collect everything. And then we process it and then we say, okay, now we got a gang member. And then we do interviews and stuff like that. So, right. But we're very careful about just throwing out a definition because some people like to express you have that freedom of speech. Oh, yeah. And it's constitutionally protected mm-hmm. to be a gang member. Right. It's not against the law to be a gang member. So you have that constitutionally protected right to be an, a gang member. Right. What's not constitutionally protected is you engage in criminal mm-hmm. gang activity. Mm-hmm. And that's what some people don't understand. So how many... Roughly, how many gangs are in Georgia? Right now in the state of Georgia, uh, GGI did a survey last year, and we have over 71,000 gang members in the state of Georgia. Wow. 71,000 gang members. They're active in, I want to say, all but one or two counties, and they're active in all school systems in Georgia, possibly except for two. And the only reason why we say that is, is that kind of like what you were talking about, the denial factor. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going to say. Not everybody wanted to participate in and give that information. So possibly the, those two counties do have gangs. They're just not reporting the activity in my professional, correctly. Uh, my professional and as an expert witness in, in court, I would, I would stand firm and say that in, in the state of Georgia that we possibly have, every county has gangs in it. I every agree. County. Wow. In every school. And then the problem is even greater nationwide yes. then. Yeah. I mean, you're looking nationwide, at millions. Yeah, nationwide millions. is the same. Right now, it was, uh, I just heard a, uh, uh, at, at our gang conference, somebody came in, one of our speakers, and said, or it might have been Mike Carlson. Mike Carlson, who is a uh, legal advisor for the uh, GBI. Mm-hmm. He said it right now, it is estimated that we have over 4 million gang members in the United States right now. I want you to think about mm. the number of military personnel we have Yeah, is not even 4 million. No. So. Four million gang members. Wow, that's a staggering yeah. number. Uh, does that include the ones in prison gangs as well, or are they a different? Statistic? I believe we we combine the two. You know, we, we say that we have our members in prison, and we also have our members out on the street, but we just combine the two. But it has been broken down before. You know, of how many gang members are estimated to be in the prison system as well. Yeah, because if you have a prisoner that's in prison and they're involved in a gang. Before they get locked up, that doesn't just stop. They yeah. can still participate even when they're um, in prison, can't they? When they're in prison, they they don't stop. They don't seize their operations. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, sometimes they even increase their operations mm-hmm. and make new contacts. And make new contacts. Uh, they, they they start networking, just mm-hmm. you know, like we're encouraging our officers to do. They network. They make new contacts. They venture out into new types of illegal mm-hmm. activity, and just any way that they can make money. So, yeah, and one thing that we were talking about in the population, the National Gang Intelligence Center in 2011 reported 1.4 million gang members. Here we are in 2019 that we're looking at close to 3 to 4 million. Wow. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, we say prison, but prison and jail. Yeah, local They're jails. In the local jails jail and, yes, systems. Yeah, you might as well say the, just anything in the corrections. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
Okay, so can you talk about how difficult it is to charge and successfully prosecute gang members in Georgia? It's not difficult at all. It's just like any other case. You have to show, one, you have probable cause to make the arrest. But then you also want to take that step further Mm -hmm. and say, I want to develop this case knowing that beyond a reasonable doubt, I'm going to get a guilty verdict. Right. And again, it starts with documentation and intelligence. You know, the moment you start seeing gang activity in your community, in your schools, or you come into contact with these individuals, you got to document it. I don't care if it's in a photo. I don't care if it's in a field interview card. I don't care if it's a notepad or a piece of paper. Best way to do it is an incident report. Get your incident report and just title it, you know, intel or, you know, participating in criminal gang activity along with the criminal acts that these individuals are suspected of doing. Right. And and if there's an individual in a vehicle that is suspected as a gang member and the three, let's just say there's four and their other three are not suspected, Mm -hmm. you want to get their information because those three individuals being with that individual now makes them an associate. Right. Mm -hmm. And under the gang statute, we go after associates. So we got to document. And then when we get into the narrative part of the report, we want to list all of our gang culture evidence. Terminology, if they're using terminology that is specific to that particular gang or that set, you want to put that in there. I heard the individuals use this term. Put that in there. What type of clothes they're wearing, colors, uh, possibly sports apparel, Mm -hmm. the the types of hats they're wearing, the way they have uh, certain clothes positioned on their body, either to the left side or the right side. Anything that you can put gang culture evidence. If you find a book of knowledge, um, if you go do a search warrant and you find drawings or pictures of them throwing up hand signs, documentation, write a report, put it in there. Social media, if you go on social media and you're capturing screenshots mm-hmm. of their social media. Right. Or get a search warrant for yeah. social media. Yeah. So their hashtags and any type of hashtags they're putting, use it. Because even the way a person stands with their left foot over their right foot means something to us as a gang investigator, especially if they're a member of a particular gang. Right. We can use that in court. So that's the biggest thing for these officers, especially on a patrol level, is not to ignore it, to document it in mm-hmm. their narratives and put it in their reports and, and really, truly articulate what they're seeing. If they come across graffiti, just don't say, oh, I came, you know, criminal damage to property or criminal trespass case, came across a six-pointed star and a pitch for it. Okay, that's nice. But articulate what you're seeing. What's the position of the pitchforks? Are they pointed up or are they pointed down? If they're pointed down, then we know now we're showing a sign of disrespect and that a rival gang did it. If they're pointing up, it's most likely that particular gang, either you know a gang that falls under Folk Nation Crips or Gangster Disciples that put that, that type of graffiti up. The type of paint they use, the color of it, put that in there. Any other letters, numbers, all that articulate that. Because if there's a number five with a line through it, now we know they're showing disrespect to the Bloods and Pyru and, and anything like that. So those are the things that they have to articulate. Just don't put uh, responded to criminal damage property or criminal trespass, graffiti, and nothing else. So so the reason that they need to document those little intricacies of the gang or what they see is because each gang, it's a culture. And so their whole life revolves around the gang, right? It it does. And I love that you said it's a culture. I, I had one person one time, I told him, I said, man, it's like a third world culture. It's like, no, that's not a, the way they operate is not a culture. I said, yes, mm-hmm. it is. They come up with their own languages, they, you know, their own hand signs, the way they operate, the way they communicate, the way they interact. The they rules. have their own culture. Yeah. The rules, 
you know, they're, they're disciplined. They're, I mean, they tax one another. So yeah, it is a, it's a culture. And I'm glad you said that. And their life revolves around their game. Yeah. So when we can prove that in narratives and reports, body cams, dash cams, capture it and articulate it. You know, one tactic that we used to do and, and I encourage officers to do is put two members in the backseat of a patrol car that has a camera and let them talk. Right. And then review that because there's no expectation of privacy in the backseat of that car. Review your video and then do a report of what they're talking about. Right. You'd be surprised of the evidence that they're giving you. But if we don't document that evidence, then we're never going to be successful in prosecuting the cases because we've got to be able to articulate. The, the law requires, or I say the courts recognize that we have to connect the gang, their, their criminal activity, the member and their criminal activity in a nexus. So we have to meet, one thing is that we have to meet the predicate act. Armed robberies, predicate act, aggravated assault, any violent crime, weapons violations, drug violations, anything like that. So we meet that. The second thing we got to meet is the person or the, or the group that committed the crime under the definition of a gang in the state of Georgia, do they meet that element? We can check that off. Then we see that they committed a crime. It's a predicate act. Under the definition, they're a gang. And then now we have to connect the nexus that the crime itself and the individual being a member just can't be a coincidence. Right. It has to be in furtherance of that member to further his membership or to get in the gang or to further the gang. We have to prove that. And we can do that through our reports and articulating our reports and documenting and all that to show that everything that they're doing is in furtherance of the gang or themselves as a member. Right. And then I have another question kind of goes back to the chief and the sheriff not having backing from them. But if you just say your prosecutor in your jurisdiction is not really on board with prosecuting the gang act or you don't have someone you can talk to to ask questions about how to charge the case. Besides GGIA, who would you recommend that officer contact? Oh, one great available resource for all of our law enforcement officers in the state of Georgia is PAC, mm-hmm. Prosecuting Attorney Council. They have, uh, I believe his name is John Daly, a new gang uh, resource attorney there that they can contact that particular office and ask for even, hey, do you have a template on a search warrant on, on mm-hmm. gangs on, and uh, let's just say tattoos or social media? And they're able to get that. Do you have access to... Uh, gang case law or anything like that, they have access to that. And at that point, you utilize them to make contact That's where I was with going that. With. Yeah, to make contact with that ADA. It puts the heat on basically and say, to hey, get them. hey, we mm-hmm. can help you in this. But I encourage officers that if they do get that conflict from their district attorney's office, is the way that we measure the success of us combating mm-hmm. gangs, are we doing gang reports? Are we taking out gang warrants, arrest mm-hmm. warrants? Are we doing gang search warrants and are we doing gang indictments and are we getting gang prosecution? You do that, you just keep arresting them and you keep charging Mm -hmm. them, but make good cases and keep putting that pressure on them. And they'll have to do it. They have to do it. Yeah. They're going to have to go get the training and all. And I got to say this at PAC and a lot of our ADAs now and district attorneys throughout Mm -hmm. the state of Georgia, when I first started getting involved in 2004, that was one of the biggest issues that we had. And I think it was almost like a fear of like, I've never prosecuted this type of case. This is mm-hmm. new to me, but we're seeing a transition now. You know, they're fully on board mm-hmm. with it. They embraced it and they're like, oh my gosh, we want to learn. We want to prosecute these, these gangs. And, the, and they're starting to see that the gangs are controlling the dope. They're yeah. controlling mm-hmm. the sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. It's all, you know, it's a it's big web. intertwined. Yeah. So why not prosecute? And so. Governor Kemp has a gang initiative, doesn't he? He does. 
thank goodness for Governor Kemp and his love for us to to fight gangs. He really mm-hmm. has a passion, and I think he is putting all the the pieces in place for us to to have the support to go out there and fight gangs and combat gangs, to educate law enforcement, to educate our community, and, and put some preventive measures out there as well. So we're really, as law enforcement community, we're really excited about that. And not only Governor Kemp, I can tell you this, that the Georgia Public Safety Training Center has some things coming for our law enforcement partners mm-hmm. throughout the state of Georgia. We are partnering with, you're going to hear this first right here. <laughs> I haven't even said this, but we are partnering with the Georgia Gang Investigators Association who does a eight-hour certification class for investigators and an intermediate certification class. And we're in the works of doing a 40-hour gang investigator class that once you get the two prerequisites and then get that class, that hopefully we'll get it together so that we can get it recognized by post as a separate certification. And we're going to be starting hosting some of those classes here on site in Foresight. Um, We're really excited about that and the partnership that we're going to. Will you um, have to pay for those? Yes. Okay. It it is because we bring in our our instructors and it's all all our material, but we're going to partner up. So the Georgia Public Safety Training Center will provide the site, which is really good for us because sometimes logistic wise, we Mm -hmm. just don't have the room and we have to turn people away. Right. And that's just a bad feeling when you have people that want to learn and want to fight gangs to turn them away. Now we'll have a site that is capable of hosting several students. And so we can reach more students and and law enforcement personnel, ADAs and whoever attends. So we're really excited about that. And we're in the process reorganizing and revamping a gang recognition course, which is a three-day course. And then also the 40-hour gang investigator course at the Georgia Public Safety Training Center. But both of those are free. And those are free. Those are here. Yes, Mm -hmm. ma'am. And again, but we're going to revamp that. We're going to give it some real good, fresh material make it really interactive for students mm-hmm. where they're going to have to do some homework and they're going to have to go hands-on. We're coming up with some cool ideas and we're just going to try to make it where it's just not classroom setting, that we're going to try to make it as mm-hmm. realistic as possible, that if they were doing a search warrant in an apartment or doing a mm-hmm. shakedown on a jail, you know, or in a, in a unit, you know, of trying to find gang paraphernalia mm-hmm. and gang culture evidence and then have to do a report about it. Oh, and, that's and good. And so, yeah, that way you're just not sitting in a classroom. You're going to go hands-on. Well, and another thing that Gypstick's working on is we're going to be creating an online class for gangs yep. that you're going to help us with. I didn't know if you knew that, but now you know <laughs> yeah, okay. that you're going to help us create this, create this training that will be available online. Those courses are free. Another yeah. thing that we got coming up for the Georgia Public Safety Training Center, and I believe in partnership with uh, PAC, is we're going to be bringing a great speaker that is going to be talking about the cartels, and that's Robert Almonte. He'll be coming here in February. We're already in the works of that. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be almost a 40-hour course. I think it might be four days Good, or we're I trying will. to do five. But we're bringing him in. I think the the, the attendees are going to be overwhelmed and mm-hmm. just going to just walk away, moved, and, and energized. Um, that's great. Great speaker. So we're excited that's about great. that. So a lot of things on the horizon. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, very exciting stuff. So can you tell us some of the common traits or behaviors that street gang members exhibit? What can a patrol officer look for when they go to that shoplifting or that ag assault? The easiest things for an officer to look at, because you just can't look at somebody in profile. You got to look at an individual. And, and I like to use the illustration of those the pictures that used to hang on the wall. And the longer you looked at the picture, another image presented itself. Mm-hmm. That's how you got to look at some of these gang members. You got to take a good look at them. And not let perception blind you and just keep looking and keep looking. And all of a sudden, everything is going to reveal itself from either something hidden in their clothing, tattoos that are on their body, 
the language that they're using, the way they stand, possibly a hand sign. Those are things that you got to look for as a patrol officer. But the biggest one of the biggest advices that I have for patrol officers that I teach is, is their tattoos. Their tattoos is a form of communication. Mm -hmm. It's a form of communication not only to their own members, but to rival gangs and also to law enforcement or anybody that comes in contact with them. And it's a great way for an officer not to be complacent and, and be alert that they're possibly encountering a gang member mm -hmm. or an associate. So uh, for the younger kids, mm -hmm. you, st you start seeing staying out at night, truancy, drug use, alcohol use, being, you know, running away, poor grades. All of a sudden, a change in behavior with their parents, their siblings, drawings in their rooms that are gang-related, stuff like that. So that's what they need to look for. Okay. And what are some of the most prevalent gangs in Georgia that you've heard of or know about? Well, right now, we have documented several traditional gangs. And what I mean by that, we're talking about what we have here in Georgia. We're talking about bloods and all different sets of bloods. Mm -hmm. We're talking about crips, different sets of crips throughout the mm -hmm. state of Georgia and also in our correctional facilities. Gangster Disciples, Ghostface Gangsters. We have all of our outlaw motorcycle gangs also out here in, mm -hmm. in the state of Georgia. You have your Hispanic gangs from Sir 13, MS 13, La Gran Familia, Latin Kings. You have them out here. You have your cartels. And then you have your non-traditional gangs, which some people refer to as hybrid gangs. Mm -hmm. And they're more of your community gangs or come out of a school, come out of a street. But typically what we see in the trend has been is that when we prosecute these individuals who are non-traditional, right. they go to a prison. They become They get into a traditional, traditional. because their non-traditional gangs doesn't exist there. Right. And then, so when they leave out of prison and go back to the streets, they, they bring they all introduce that, back. that back to their non-traditional gang. Yeah. Yeah. So and and that's that's basically the best way that we can say is that we have the Crips, we've got the Bloods, we've got the Gangster Disciples, we've got a lot of OMGs, you got all your, your Hispanic gangs here. Because all these gangs have different subsets mm -hmm. and it just keeps going and keep going and keep going. So mm -hmm. we'd be here another eight hours to talk about all the gangs. All the gangs. Yeah. Because yeah. it's impossible it's to impossible. know. Yeah. And they're creating them every day. Every day. Every day. Yeah. They, they create their own sets. Somebody gets in a disagreement with another member and then they, you know, mm -hmm. they start their own gang. And that's how a lot of these have started. But through GGIA, through the Georgia Public Safety Training Center and all of our members, those lists of gangs are easily accessible mm -hmm. because of the networking. Come in contact in your jurisdiction with a gang that has never been there. Mm -hmm. You take a photograph of it, you document it, and you broadcast that out to all of the members. And immediately, just like we talked about earlier, they're like, oh, yeah, hey, we have them up here in Atlanta, or we have them down here in Albany, right. or we have them down here in Brunswick, or wherever else in the state of Georgia. And then you're able to connect you know, the dots together. Mm -hmm. Um, I was going to ask a question about, and we might have to edit this out, but anyway, the Ghostface Gang. Did that? Where did that gang originate? California. California. The way that it made its way here to Georgia is one of the founding fathers, which they call the Seven Pillars, why they use a seven-pointed star and all, was actually convicted and housed in Cobb County here in Georgia. Oh, wow. And so that's how that mm -hmm. was introduced here in the state of Georgia and became so prevalent. I just see that a lot, and I saw it a lot when I was in law enforcement. It is, it is a large gang. They're classified as a street gang and prison gang. They operate inside the prison and on the outside. The Savannah U.S. Attorney Office just did a great job a couple of months ago in Operation Vanilla Gorilla, where several of the Ghostface gangsters were indicted and prosecuted. I think mm -hmm. there's only one out of 40-something that has yet to be sentenced. So, yeah, they're, they're really large. They're, they're prevalent throughout the state. Mm -hmm. They go after a lot of young Caucasian males. 
they're very violent. They like their meth. They they interact with other gangs, mm-hmm. you know, to do business. So yeah, it's it's a it's a big problem. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to tell us about or important tips for gang information? I would probably just finish off by just telling every law enforcement officer out there that they need to look at the definition in the gang statute. Mm-hmm. Yes. And treat it just like any other law that's in the books. Do not downplay the capabilities of these individuals. Yes. These individuals are out there through this culture, through their gangs, simply to terrorize our communities, to destroy schools, to destroy mm-hmm. lives. They don't respect life or value life, and that includes a law enforcement officer's life. True. Too oftentimes these officers become complacent yes. or they think that they are, oh, I'm an officer and that's just a, a punk kid. Mm-hmm. That punk kid is carrying a gun. Right. That punk kid is doing drive-bys. He's doing robberies. And depending on what agency you work at, that punk kid might have more backup than you yes. do. Right. Yeah. This backup's just around the mm-hmm. corner where you, you probably, your backup's 20 minutes away. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you're absolutely correct on that. And I just encourage officers to look at the law for what it is and don't be the judge. You just be the accountability partner. Mm -hmm. Hold them accountable and hold them to the law. Do the job. Don't cut corners. Articulate your reports. Document, 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 and share the information. Mm -hmm. And let's just combat these gangs as, as much as we can, but also take the other measures and prevent, prevent these, you know, kids from getting into gangs by engaging them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, we thank you for right. coming. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you Thanks for having me and getting to share, you know, my testimony and also just, you know, what we know about gangs here in Georgia. And we're really excited about what's taking place here at the Georgia Public Safety Training Center, our new partnership with GGIA and, and what the two organizations are going to do. Mm-hmm. I, I think we're going to shake a lot of things up and, <laughs> and get people pumped up and, and get people excited about, you know, this field of our, our of our job. And I'm just glad to be a part of it. Yes. We're glad to have you. Thanks for listening to Gypstick Between the Lines. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. If you'd like to reach out, email us at learn at gpstc.org.